Okay, a couple advertisements before we begin. Uh, starting on February 12th, uh, after the service, we're going to have a little lunch provided. I'm going to have uh, begin some teachings called the Basics of Lutheran Teachings. We have several people regularly attending, significant others engaged married, girlfriends, whatever, um, that are attending, and I'd like to get a class together that would go over uh, the basics of the faith that would be for church membership, kind of things of that sort. Um, I wasn't able to throw together a long uh, 10, 12 weeks at a time. we got Easter coming up and different things of that sort. And uh, I said, well, you know what, I'm just going to do four weeks here, and four weeks here, and maybe three another, and anyway, starting February 12th, um, I'm going to offer that, um, and uh, again, that will be kind of 12.30 to 1.30 or something like that, that's, that's pretty simple. Um, I will be asking some of you if you'd be willing to provide us uh, a lunch so that uh, this might work better with crazy schedules that that people have. So, that'll be coming up starting February 12th. If you got any questions, kind of let me know. The New Lutheran Herald came out today, um, and so those are available. Uh, inside of that, uh, page 2 has the usual calendar seminary update. It does have an update on... The ASBH, the Augustana Service Book and Hymnal, ASBH. Anyway, know all your acronyms, uh, but on as it gets to the back, they do have. He's labeled here. Our bishop has labeled uh, the ASBH supplement response form number one. And if you read in the sheets, he said this is the first of others that he's going to come out. Um, you know, in one sense, we haven't uh, actually, we've used a lot of the hymns. We haven't yet used the uh, liturgy part uh, from it, so you can't comment on that. Although most that he's asking for there is, is hymn kind of suggestions. There's not a whole lot. Um, I know that uh, I have had Karn's been working with the choir. We've been sitting down as well as putting a lot of input, uh, much more than what's there uh, for it. So I'm sure you'll have time, or if you have other things, let me know. But um, I wanted to make sure, and so I passed out a, uh, the sheet for that, and uh, you can put down how we've been using it uh, with the hymns. Later we'll work on the other. We're wrapping up our uh, class. Did I give you back your... Yeah. Yes, you did. Perfect. Um, we're working on wrapping up our history class that will then bump us into the history uh, of the hymnal and uh, why we're proceeding in the way that we are. So uh, we're getting pretty close to, to that. Last week, uh, 
we started, I gave you an introduction. Uh, this is kind of you know, almost not history. It's pretty well life as we live it and as it's going on. Pretty well from 1981 on. We went through the first part. I did walk you through just quickly how um, uh, we fit into this with our six points in which we did a state of confession. We'll come to that history. We're not quite there yet. Um, I did illustrate a couple of the things. One, about how each time there was a change in synodical president, that there was a change in the direction of the organization. And uh, uh, did that cause the change, or was that the result of the change? And what I pretty well said was, what you have going on is you pretty well have a divided Senate. And both sides are there. One side just happens to win an election, and then the next side happens to win an election. And everything that's going on is still going on within it. Um, we did talk about Walter A. Meyer II in connection with objective justification, how even at this point there was uh, uh, some confusion in regarding it. We talked about the equipping of a laity in what was called the Great Commission Convocation, which um, maybe you've heard me uh, tell my story about how for my theological interview, uh, this would be the last interview that you have at seminary, after four years you sit down in front of three professors and they're supposed to uh, grill you on what you've learned, and are you orthodox? And uh, I had three professors in front of me. Uh, one of them asked me the question, so the LCMS has something called the Great Commission Convocation. The Great Commission comes from Matthew 28, 19 to 20, where Jesus said, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I commanded you, and I'll be with you always to the end of the earth. And so he asked the question, uh, is this an appropriate name for a group that is to equip laymen and to teach laymen? Hmm. Well, I, I, I will say to my credit, I knew exactly what he was talking about um, because Matthew 28, 19, and 20 are the words that Jesus spoke to the twelve apostles as representatives of the pastoral office. Who does the baptizing and teaching? So, you know, is it appropriate? You know, uh, uh, no, it's talking about... Now, there are places in the scriptures in which... Uh, the heads of the household, fathers, mothers are to teach their children where we are to, uh, as the priests of all believers, declare the praises to, to all people, of course. Um, uh, that's not that, that that never happens. Uh, I swaffled on my answer. <laughs> well, yes, there are pastor. You know, yes, that's the, the pastor. But then, the, you know, there is this. Um, and when I got done with my answer, um, these three uh, professors—one was a conservative, one was a moderate, and one was a liberal. 
they then got into an argument for about 30 minutes. And I sat back and watched the show. And when they got done, they asked me again. And I swaffled again. And they argued for the another 15 minutes. And an hour was done. And they said, Mr. Henson, you're dismissed. Thank you very much. And they passed me. Yours was only an hour? <coughs> yeah. Mine was two. Well, you probably needed two hours. I did. <laughs> so, all, all I will tell you is that I didn't really realize that till about ten years later, just exactly what was going on. And again, that theological interview was not for my benefit, evidently. It was to be used to... <coughs> open up this rift, and, and they they went at it. And um, uh, I never quite knew what was going on, again, till about ten years later, when uh, um, in studying these things further and kind of uh, uh, realizing more about it. Karen? I just am curious, was it the conservative that asked the question? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so anyway, um, again, what was done, they were teaching the laity to demand contemporary worship, was teaching them, you know, evangelism, all of the things that they wanted uh, uh, to happen. Again, Ralph Bowman was president at the time. I mentioned about last time about the study of women in the church. This was now the second study, and it already had gone to, well, of course, we don't have uh, women in, in the pastoral office, but other than that, um, they pretty well had dismissed that there's any distinction between men and, and women. We talked about the National Youth Gathering uh, and how that was being uh, uh, used to continue um, and to grab onto the laity. Uh, the Renewal in Missouri, a group of charismatics, began to publish um, and had an association in which they were moving forward. It kind of fits with the contemporary worship and with everything else with it. Um, so that's about where we got last time. Moving on forward, 1989, uh, the Synodical Convention was at Wichita. There was a, re a resolution 305B that established, and the resolution was licensed lay deacons, and called them, or which we would know as lay ministers. Uh, that was one of our uh, six points uh, when we went into a state of confession. Uh, the term lay minister is an oxymoron. That is, it's two things that don't go together. You're either the laity or you're a minister. You can't be a lay minister. Those are, those are mutually exclusive. Mary? This is why I object to Pastor Haroon being called a deacon, because in so many churches, deacons are lay people. And Pastor Haroon is not a lay person. He is our pastor. The confusion that goes with that terminology <coughs> is crazy. I'm going to try to like untangle it for you in three minutes. But um, did you have I was just gonna say it's just our ignorance of the actual meaning of the word. When you hear bishop you're like, oh, no, no, we don't do bishops. You know, but no, that's what this means. 
this is what <laughs> pastor means, this is what deacon means, right. this is what elder means. Right. Before I do this, you're going to add? I was just going to say, basically, the other folks have it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so much of right, right teaching also is using the correct the word correctly in its meaning because what our um, what other synods do and what other religions do is take a word, deprive it of its heart, and give it a new meaning. So it's good to replace it with the correct meaning. The, and pro- it's just the problem is you're just not woke enough. <laughs> well, I'm never going to be. Sorry. All right, so here we go. You ready? Scripturally speaking, and in the early history of the church... You have the pastoral office. That is the only office established by Christ. Divine office. Within the pastoral office, we will at times make distinctions. We call those human distinctions. Everyone in it is is in the pastoral office. And sometimes we might say they're all pastors. All right? Um, You do have some different terminologies. You have the term... Uh, bishop, you have the term pastor, and you have the term deacon. All three of those are within the pastoral office. They are not laity at all. But, we usually, for human purposes, though they can do any and everything in the pastoral office, preach, teach, administer the sacraments, all of that. But, but we will often say that a pastor and, and sometimes there's other terms like overseer or uh, shepherd or episcopus. Uh, I'll get to that one. Um, normally we would say that's kind of a parish, uh, someone that takes care of a congregation, a parish. A deacon is someone who doesn't take do the whole thing, but he does part of it. A bishop is a pastor who may have a congregation himself, but is in charge of overseeing the other pastors. So that's usually the way it is lined out. Um, Yes, as Tony mentioned, we're maybe starting to kind of go, oh, I didn't realize that, you know. And so, uh, Pastor Hearn does not... Uh, um, if I call in Deacon Haroon, and at times I will, he is not offended in the least. He simply realizes that what? He doesn't, you know, work 40 hours a week and take care of everything. He helps out when he can. He's in the pastoral office. He was a pastor for a long period of time. Well, now he serves as a deacon, a helper, uh, in, in regards to that. So, um, that's, that's what we have. Now let's go to the confusion. (laughs) The terms for pastor, and there are primarily two, overseer and elder. Overseer and elder. Overseer refers to your job. You oversee those people given to you. Elder is a term of respect. Uh, um, it's a term of you're a little bit older and wiser. That's kind of that elder term that, that goes with it. Those are two terms in the scriptures that are used for pastors. If you get to Timothy and Titus and it talks about telling Timothy, go and appoint elders, it's talking about ordaining pastors. The problem is, Tony Stretch, elder. he is an elder in our church. <laughs> Wait a minute. 
that term, yeah, yeah what, what happened? Well, actually, it probably comes from Calvinism. And Calvinism had the term elder used for laymen who helped. So, you know, we're primarily used to elders being laymen. When we come to the scriptures as elder, we think it must be laymen. It doesn't mean that, so then that creates some confusion. It makes sense when we were talking about how their their view of the office is that the pastor is just preaching on behalf of the people to the people. This just kind of flows out of that. Where it does. Everybody's in kind of one pool, but there's one guy who's like put in charge. It's a democracy thing. Correct. Um, there also is, um, to present to you another distinction, is that um, in our church... As, as it should be, we call, give someone a divine call, that means it comes from God. A call is not time limited. You are called to be the pastor, and there's no one year, five year, whatever it is, you serve until you're not able to serve, um, or until you're called to another place where you serve at, at that point. There are others that license, similar to your hairdresser or whatever you might say, in which they will license someone to preach in their church, Methodist church, for three years. And then you have to be re-licensed. There's a a time-limited kind of thing to do that. Um, We call people. Um, And again, it is open-ended. That's that's the way it's, it's, it's... scripturally designed to be. Um, Same thing if we're talking about pastors and deacons, now we have a bishop. Because we we looked at that and said, okay, well what does that mean? Well he gets the call. So do we elect him? Well, once. That's it. After that, he's in. Um, He's the one. Unlike where we're going to have a new synodical president and every three years you're going to have a big argument about uh, uh, who's who's that going to be? And you have to be popular, and you have to continue, and you got to make and try to get reelected, and everything that goes with that. We said, no, 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 we're not going to do this. We push that aside. Last piece of the puzzle: the Wichita. <laughs> um, we uh, pastors commonly referred to this as the Wichita recension of the Augsburg Confession. So the Augsburg Confession, Article 14, said that you're not allowed to preach and teach unless you're rightly called. This said, oh no, that's okay. So what did they do? They wanted to license them, and they wanted to license laymen for a limited amount of time, and then they used the term deacon to refer to, well, are they laymen or are they ministers? Are they ordained? Are they men? So you kind of go, well, well, you know, oh, well, yeah, well. Uh, um, and so now we're going to start calling them deacons. But then they're doing pastoral stuff. So if lay deacon means lay minister, then deacon, well, no, no. But they're, so the idea was this. The, and usually practical purposes are, are the mischief, mischievous way that you enter into these things. Um, we've got a small congregation in South Dakota. It's too small to have a pastor. We've got a pastoral shortage. 
So what we're going to do is we're going to take a godly layman from that congregation. We're going to take Mark Melvin. We're going to give him six weeks of classes. We're going to send him back to the congregation where he lives. And he then is going to be licensed. He's going to be the one who preaches and teaches and leads services in that place. He's not allowed to take a call anywhere else. And he's kind of going to be under another pastor, probably a full-time pastor who is 60 miles away in, in you know, another small town in South Dakota. And the idea was is that we give him enough training that he can do the stuff. In effect, we're going to give him, follow this liturgy. You know, we'll teach you how to do it. Here are sermons. We might have your right sermons, but we might also give you Luther sermons or other pastor sermons. And so we got someone who's kind of doing it. That was the practical purpose that they set this out. Can he baptize? Yep, they would they would say all of it. Um, but he wasn't ordained. He was only licensed, which what is again that decision of the what? What now? Uh, you said that Wichita was referred to as the recession. We called it the recension. <laughs> that, that is, you know, the, the uh, uh, denying the Augsburg Confession is really what it was. Um, so that's what was lined up. Over the years, everyone kept complaining about it, at least the conservative side. And so then they started to say, well, maybe we ought to give them more stuff. Well, maybe we ought to ordain them. Well, maybe we ought to, and they kept trying to do it. Um, the other thing is that this really was pushed by the district presidents and the districts. And so they had, California had their own little lay deacon program, and the East Coast had their own. Kansas movie. District did too. And Kansas District did too. Um, if Brian, yes. I personally look forward to every time you say, it's a called and ordained servant of the word. I forgive your sins. What do they say? Uh, as an established licensed lay dude, <laughs> officially forgive your sins unofficially. <laughs> right. Pa fabulous. Fabulous, God. So the point, yeah, there, anyway. But, but, but exactly, the point is this. If somebody's giving you forgiveness... You know, who sent you to do this, and how can you do this? Mm -hmm. And so right up front, I say, it's not me. I've been called and ordained. God sent me to do this. And you kind of go, all right, well, if God sent you, go right ahead. <laughs> Tell me. So so that that's the point. Um, if Brian was here, uh, when we were going through our six-sheet points, we were talking about license lady because we were talking about why this wasn't all. He came back after going on vacation. Mm -hmm. He went to a congregation out in Wichita or somewhere there, it was a congregation of foreigner people or something like that. They were they were crazy into contemporary worship. They were into you know, he came back, he goes, you know, he goes, the six points were their purpose in life, you know, that they, they were doing everything that, that we didn't want to happen. He goes, but was crazy. He was there at the the very Sunday that they were placing into office three or four licensed lay deacons into their congregation. He goes, Pastor, I thought you said this was for like small rural that couldn't have a pastor, whatever. No, it was 
you know, a huge 400 people there. They probably had 1,000 people on the rolls. They had three pastors, and now they got four lay ministers that they were now putting on their staff, and they were going to do all of this. He goes, that's not what's going on. I go, right, exactly. Um, that was the excuse to get this, this thing going. Um, anyway, that started in 1989. Okay. Um, exists all the way down until just the last couple years. Um, I won't, I, I won't get to it today, but I will say I talked with someone this last week, and I said I noticed that one of the conventions, and I don't keep up with this. It took me a while to kind of go back to this. Once we left, I didn't. I said I noticed that one of the conventions um, uh, changed this finally and ordained them and gave them a little more training and said that these programs need to go away. I go, but I looked online and I could see that these programs are still going on and it didn't sound right. I go, so tell me, is this all still going on? And, and a wink and a nudge and he told me yes. So I'll get to that later, but just to mention. Um, so you're saying they, they took the lay deacons and ordained them? In the last couple of years, yes. Which I will say technically follows the Augsburg Confession. That on paper, you know, I don't think it's a good idea to give somebody 13 weeks training and, and give, you know, or do distance training or, or whatever like that. I mean, uh, in the very same way, I don't think you want to go to a doctor who has 13 weeks of training as opposed to six years. That's what I was, I was but, getting at. What is the... What does the Augsburg Confession say that you, what kind of training you have to It have does to not say. It just says you need to be qualified. Okay. You know, and so, I mean, yes, there's, you know, whether it's three years or six or whatever it is. I mean, I, there's a little bit. But technically, you know, I'd much rather have them ordained. That's how I know. So, um, uh, Todd, to give you a real good example, um, there was a congregation down in Florida. I was on vacation for spring break. Um, my parents had been going. They were being served by a, a retired pastor. Things were uh, fine. We get there that morning. The retired pastor is gone. And they have a lay minister. You know, uh, um, I look up here and... and, and uh, actually, I think they told me ahead of time. Um, now that I remember, I think they told me ahead of time, you wouldn't be, there was going to be a lay minister, you know, um, uh, do you want to go? And I go, you know, it, it very well may be that the guy can preach up a storm. It may w very well be that he follows the liturgy as he should. The question for me becomes, does God want to use this man for this purpose? When he's ordained, I've got God's word on it. When I don't, he's out doing something that I don't know if this has the approval of my Lord or not. And so I said, you know what, I'm a pastor, we'll stay home, I'll give you a service, you know, uh, in, in our house. They've got some new program now, and maybe you'll get to it, because I've heard about some people now that are... They're teachers in Missouri, and now they're getting some sort of training to become pastors. Is that the new version of lay ministry? Right. They're actually ordaining them and giving There's them a couple them. programs they have. One's called Delto. There's a couple of that may. Yeah. Is that the one you're thinking of? No. Um, um, I probably will get to it later, but um, they're trying. You know, yeah, they're trying some other things. Um, 
But what you're telling us by talking to the other pastor or whoever you did within LCMS is that they're officially they're ordaining them, but they're still going on with this lay deacon thing under the radar. So I talked to the chairman of the board of directors of the Missouri Senate. This is the highest ranking layman in, in, in Missouri. Um, has been in that office for 12 years. We'll go on 13, and, and um, uh, he is uh, conservative, trying to do some things. I, I would say, being the highest ranking as he could, I don't know that he got anything done. I, I'm not saying he didn't try, but yeah, yeah, in, in those kind of things. Uh, when I talked with him and I said about this, he said, yes, you're right, I'm pretty sure that, that though officially they're not supposed to be doing this, the districts, and that's the point, the districts are doing it. So you've got the synodical president, but he really can't do much with the district president. The district presidents pretty well do whatever they want. I'll get to this later. Um, one more piece of the puzzle. There is a program that was started, and I don't remember where it is. I hadn't intended to talk about this, called the Deaconess Program. Oh, yeah. Deaconess Program. What is deaconess? Well, this this is a program for women. And they, uh, again, it's set up in Missouri. They are very careful with the deaconess program. They are not to be doing the pastoral office. They're not to be preaching, you know, administering the sacraments, whatever. They are to be doing things that would be appropriate. And there are many things that would be quite appropriate and helpful uh, for a woman who is working in our church. So they have a deaconess program. So all of a sudden you kind of go, wait a minute, so deaconess. So deaconess, they tell me, well, it's supposed to be for Pat. Well, now it's one, well, yeah, but she's not in the pastor. Well, oh, that, that, the terminology would drive you crazy, right? Where are they being trained? Seminary. At the seminaries. So what are they doing? Well, they're sitting side by side by seminarians and going through most of the same classes, and when we get to the end, we say, well, you're a pastor and you're not. Uh -huh. Hmm, kind of interesting. I think you know where they're leading for this one, right? And so there are things like this that, that you know, it may not be wrong, but there are things, and, and then depending upon where you go, if you go to one of the saltwater districts where things are kind of fishy, you might be able to do a little more than you could do in the Midwest. Karn? We still get the publication from Concordia Seminary in St. Louis because that's where Pastor went to got his seminary training. And we've watched over the years as the front cover has changed. It used to always be a bunch of men in clericals, you know, or, you know, just as soon as they were, or they were so it was young men. And now it's guys wearing just regular collar shirts, then it became women and men on the front cover, you know, all standing together. So you can, just the front cover of the seminary publication, I think says it all, what's happened in the last 20 years. I never have understood what the deaconess did. So they might do social ministry, they might take care of the homeless, they might go um, and help uh, the elderly, uh, someone's at home, uh, technology is crazy, you know, as a pastor I spend time going to visit someone and helping them to get their television so that they can watch the video and they can find out what's going on. I mean, you know, yes, they, uh, 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 
a deaconess cannot go and give you Lord's Supper or have a service kind of things. But there are many kind of things that I think would be very helpful. There are other times that I, I I'm going to say I have I have to be very careful under uh, social context whether that means uh, keeping a desk in between me and a woman whom I'm talking to or doors open or if I'm meeting with someone at the night I ask my wife to come up and play the organ you know I mean there's a lot of things if there was a deaconess it would be very helpful especially on a visit or things of that sort um, but anyway there are things that can be done um, and, and I think would be right and godly and good so I, I, I do think that there are appropriate ways and that would be quite helpful but it doesn't always so are they basically equivalent to a Catholic nun yes absolutely Um, that that would be exactly you know you would call it a godly vocation in which you're serving the church um, and assisting Um. by not being careful with words you move the Overton window until the thing that you're trying to do is already a foregone conclusion and everybody says well it's always been that way so back to our terminology <clears throat> yeah Mary so all of a sudden you kind of go well uh, um, I, I, it just makes it really difficult to talk about these things um, and so you know we're probably going to have to look at as well um, Tony's going to be a either in Latin a sacristan is is one of the terms that has traditionally been used for no those who, who, <laughs> who assist. Um, the German is, is called a Kuster. K with a U and an umlaut on. Um, which I, I like better. I like the Kuster better than I like Sacristan. I don't know. Kind of sounds kind of crazy, but uh, um, I've, I've, I've grown up in, in bad German language, you know, and I, I've heard of people getting kicked in there. So I, I, you know, I think that would be kind of funny that my godly men are all called. Be careful, Kuster. You know, I got to get the term. You get the you get the vowel wrong, and it's a different anatomy. Um, So anyway, those are things that I I will say. You know, we're we're looking at as well. Eric, Uh, another bit of confusion: Jesus, the Annunciation, or after his birth. In the temple, there is um, a prophetess. Anna. Very good. Very good. Um, we do have in the scripture, again, I, I gave you the three minutes, that took 20 minutes with it. Um, do you have the term prophetess? Uh, what does that refer to? Um, at no time do we ever find anyone who is not a male, and again, we're talking about the order of creation, the distinction between men and women. In the Old Testament, there are prophets, there are priests, they are all male. In the New Testament, we have apostles, we have deacons, and bishops, they are all male. It, it's just, that's the way it happens. We do have people from time to time that are called things like that, and in the Old Testament, we have a prophetess, and it appears to be that that simply is the name of the wife who's married to the pastor prophet. I, we don't find anything crazy other than that. Interesting. 
you know, here's the prophet and this is the prophetess. That means it's his wife kind of thing. Um, we do have, uh, yeah, Anna, who's in the New Testament. Again, she appears to be a nun in the temple taking care of stuff and doing things. We do have, wow, in Acts, um, we have the seven daughters of deaconesses are they deaconesses I can't remember what the term is now I think they're called deaconesses and and they are I mean they just seem to be um, uh, those who are uh, dedicated to church work kind of thing Um, and it may very well be that they are married to the deacon. I, I, but it never has anything like that. But you're right. There are there. You can get some confusing stuff for sure. Um. Can I make a point here? This may take a while. <laughs> <laughs> Contemporary worship. You do realize I've gone through one line <laughs> in 40 minutes. I'm jumping back. Oh. <laughs> good, oh, good. I didn't want to go forward. <laughs> go ahead. Contemporary worship. Now, uh, some of you may not have been trained in contemporary worship. But most of you are old enough to know when you had in your church contemporary worship seminars things. Okay? What is contemporary worship? One thing it is, is it's not Lutheran worship. Because that's the first thing they throw away. So they throw the Lutheran hymnal away and they give you a paper with a service on it that they say is Luther. Well, now, 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 I don't want to drag this on too long because, but what does that do? When, when you change the, the liturgy or take the liturgy away and tell everybody that's in this meeting that you should be involved and they don't mean by paying attention when you're sitting in the pews they, they mean involved up up in the front dancing around or whatever it is when when they take the layperson out of the pew and put them in the office of the ministry by having them do something in the service that the pastor should be doing, what does that do for you? Confuses us. It confuses you, but what else does it do? It makes it act like you're the person, like like the whole service is about you rather than about God. It sets your pride afire. I can do this. The pastor, he's not that smart. I can do this. And it takes the focus off of word and sacrament. That's, very that was where I was place. going next. And the focus on the word and the sacraments is the, the real purpose that we're here. 
the focus on the word and the sacrament goes away. And it gets replaced by our own ego. And that's that's where we're going here. That's really what's driving all this stuff. Is contemporary worship. Because we need more people serving. Shirley? Well, back to Mary and her terminology confusion. You know, I come from a very, I have a very ecumenical family. My brother is a Methodist minister, and he was ordained, he was ordained as an elder. My son-in-law is a Baptist, and he's a deacon. <laughs> my, my son and his wife are Catholic, and when I went to the baptism of one of my grandchildren, they were baptized by a deacon. And I'm not sure if he was an ordained pastor or not. He was all... So, yeah, you talk about terminology. Terminology, now, right. I, have, I, I live a confused life of terminology. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and... Oh, surely not. Surely. Um, <laughs> we were looking for a piano one time. We went to a music store, and uh, after being there a while, I, I try to be incognito as much as possible. And then the, the guy asked me, you know, finally point blank, you know, so what do you do? You know, and so I, I'm the Lutheran pastor and over here. To which the guy responds, really? I pastor a church too. <laughs> <laughs> the term, I pastor a church. A verb. That's a verb. It's just something you do, not something you are. Right. And so the distinction, we always make, you know, you are ordained to something you are so that you can do that. I, I would just just saying the distinction between being a father and oh yeah, I fathered a child <laughs> that's the distinction we're talking about. You know, one is right and good and we're we're good with it. The other uh, um Wichita, nineteen eighty nine. 1989, July 27th, Fort Wayne terminated their uh, Fort Wayne Seminary, Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne terminated their president, Dr. Robert Preuss, who had begun in 1974. Um, I'm going to skip over that. In 1991, December 3rd, finally the Commission on Appeals uh, regarding this, dismissed the charges, that should be reversed, not revered, and reversed what they called his honorable retirement, which was forced upon him. Okay? Um, and finally, in about 1992 to 1993, he returned uh, as, as president. Um, it's a little thing in effect, but why do I bring it up? I think it serves as a very good example. Um, in this uh, post on a website, uh, uh, the Brothers of St. John the Steadfast, steadfastlutherans.com, back in 2014, uh, they had a one called Remembering Robert, and it says, you know, this uh, marked the silver anniversary of when the Board of Regents and here's what it says. July 27, 1989, the Fort Wayne Board of Regents opened its summer meeting with the devotion, led by its president, Preuss. After the devotion, now this is uh, this is Robert Preuss, this is not Jack Preuss, this is his brother, 
Okay, we've talked about Jack before, who was synodical president. This is the seminary president. Uh, they dismissed him from the meeting after the devotion during its executive session. They never uh, then notified him that he was terminated. Brought him back in after executive session and said, you're terminated. Uh, it was later reviewed by the LCMS Commission on Appeals, which handed it down and said that they did not properly and honorably retire him. And he was finally put back. It took about three years. Uh, there was a lot of uh, angst uh, regarding uh, what they did. The truth is Dr. Robert Force was forcibly retired from his office and called for no just cause. He was innocent of all charges. In fact, none were ever made against him. Um, as they say, here, 25 years later, they're going back to take a look at it. What do we find? Robert Preuss was actually one of the faithful five who cooperated with the Senate back at the walkout uh, back in 1974 of, of this, um, including some of the others, those uh, faithful five, Richard Kahn, Martin Charlemagne, Lorenz Wunderlich, and Ralph Bowman. <laughs> now, you might remember, Ralph Bowman was the synodical president at this time. Um, and so, uh, they did not go with uh, the walkout. The faithful hot five had to endure the lifelong enmity of the Seminex faculty, their students, and those who supported Seminex stuff. They treated them terribly for years. Interesting. Just read John Teachin complained with a great deal of justification that 1,200 congregations and their pastors had supported him in their struggles in the early 1970s, but only 250 left to form the AELC Senate. This left 950 congregations still in the LCMS with their pastors who were sympathetic to the Seminex faculty, to John Teachin, to their quasi-Lutheran theology. There were, these were the same congregation of pastors who had been extremely active in semantical politics in the 1960s and early 70s. So it would be no surprise if the faithful five, including Robert Boyce, suffered various attacks or reprisals from members of the LCMS throughout their lives um, as they stood in support of true Lutheran uh, theology. If the persons who had terminated Robert Preuss and had brought the charges against him had openly identified themselves as Teach and Seminex supporters, they didn't, then the cause of his removal would have been patently clear. But in fact, one of the plaintiffs against Preuss was another member of the Faithful Five, that would be President Ralph Bowman, the president of the LCMS Senate, was the one who was pushing it. And his removal then, uh, uh, was it a case of Seminex reprisals? Well, you know, it didn't come out in the open. They didn't say exactly what he said, but it was like they fired him, but they called it an honorable retirement, you know. Um, and we know kind of where it was going. This article will go on to talk about the various things that uh, Robert Price did. So, for example, during this time that... that we were in fellowship with the ALC, and he gave a lecture to join or not to join, to study a several issues and the questions of joining with the ALC and pulpit and altar fellowship. He spoke out against this. Um, again, those in uh, positions wanted to continue with it, and they were uh, dealing with it. And so many of the things that he did, um, 
going on. Finally, later, let's see. Um, uh, I should reconsider. Robert Price took a leading role in the group, and I'm going to get into that. I thought I would get into it today. It's not going to happen until next time. A group called Faith Forward First Concerns. He served uh, that starting in 1965. He also served for a time as an associate editor for the magazine Affirm, which was published by the organization Balance, Inc., starting in 1971. I'll come back to this. As I said before, the synodical presidents kind of set the direction for things, and as it changed, well, as it changed, if your synodical president isn't the one you want, if he's conservative and you're a liberal, you form a liberal group within Missouri, you don't leave, and you work for three years to get that guy out, well, or if the guy that is liberal and you're conservative, you, some perform, you start a conservative group and you work to get the liberal guy out. Um, so that's what was going on. That's why in 1989, what happened was he was attacked. And they said, let's get that guy out of there because we want to get in there all of our stuff that's going on. Um, Robert Price's case teaches present and future leaders in the LCMS what they might experience if they publicly and faithfully support the theology and practice of the Book of Concord. They might experience opposition, reprisals, termination, expulsion, even worse. And so um, it speaks about those uh, things. Note, is there a lesson to be learned? I think there are a few. First, the LCMS pulled itself into thinking that the battles were over in 1976 when the moderate party in the Senate left to form the AELC. After the AELC formation, there were still over a thousand congregations of passion in the LCMS who loved teaching seminaries who hated Robert Royce and other conservative leaders. Some of those guys have yet to retire today, almost 40 years later. We talked about retirement last night. Second, and related to the first, the taking down of a conservative leader in this fashion gives evidence that the LCMS was still somewhat moderate in the late 1980s. Quote, moderately compared to theology and practice of Walther and uh, Peeper. So what do you see? Well, as this turned out, uh, uh, there was a commission on appeals it finally dismissed the charges, and he was returned, although it had done irreparable damage to his family, to everything, and he had very few of that at this point. Um, 1992, right after this, the Pittsburgh Convention for the Senate replaced the true adjudication process like a commission on appeals that determine truth and justice, with something called a dispute resolution process, which was based on a binding arbitration model. So, you can kind of go, huh, really? So, we actually got justice, and at the very next convention, they said, 
yeah, we don't like that system. We're going to put in a dispute resolution process in which there is not a court that hears your case and determines right or wrong. We have somebody come in who is an arbitrator and they hear what you say and they hear what you say and they try to bring you together. This was one of our six points. And uh, this, which was brought in, caused irreparable... I mean, you couldn't fix things when things came up. Um, that was the real problem. So if there was a uh, dispute, mm -hmm. and I think I you know, mentioned before, uh, the pastor refuses to uh, marry the chairman's daughter who's living together, the chairman and them get all upset about this, they say, oh, you need to go to dispute resolution. You, we need to work on how you get together with people. And if you can't get together, then we're going to move you out of here. Um, we'll move you to another congregation. We'll send you out, you know, kind of thing like that. Um, that's why that was a problem. Um, next thing, if before you had a pastor who did something wrong, you filed charges against him. Not anymore. Um, things started to change, and everything got moved into this dispute resolution process. All right, that pretty well uh, uh, is, is the section. The only thing that I didn't mention was in 1989, uh, the Senate's mission department went out. They came out with a document that was put together called the Mission Blueprint for the 90s what we were going to do. Everything, and Pastor Rin says this, and, and he's right, um, when you start to see the crazy stuff that's going on, what's pushing it? Missions. Um, that's what you will find. And so there were all, all of these kind of points that we had. They had actually codified it, and we're going to move forward with it um, by the mission department. Um, Again, about 45% of those uh, pastors didn't like it, like myself, and complained about it. But that's what they were uh, bringing forward. I can't remember if it was actually passed in convention or not. Um, this brings us all the way through uh, Ralph Bowman, who uh, uh, was elected in eight, 1981. When we get to 1992, we will find that Ralph Bowman was not retiring in any way. And all of a sudden, to the surprise of the Senate, A.L. Berry was elected, a more conservative man than Ralph Bowman. And these groups of conservatives who had been working behind the scenes and had been publishing and putting things out and had put out voter guides and things of that sort was able to uh, dethrone him, much to his great surprise. And he and his groups were completely surprised and were very angry. And we'll see what happens after this, which, again, has brought us to about 1992. Is, um, Tony? Didn't I remember when... You and, and a lot of people, when Barry died and Kieschnick was getting elected, that you guys 
did all you could politically at the Senate because you knew what was going to happen, and you became kind of like what people are doing in the political world, you know, just getting the message, you know, getting everybody there to vote that they could. Exactly. Exactly. Um, We're we're going to see what happens under A.L. Berry, which is going to say a lot of good, good things. And then we're going to find that God had his ways are not our ways. And so he uh, uh, died in office um, unexpectedly, and um, all of a sudden things went crazy. But now that you've been through the history, it shouldn't surprise you. I mean, at the time, everybody kind of goes, what happened? You go, well, it's, you know, the, the river had already been running through there for a while. Uh, it was just under it. Now it came to the surface. It reflects surface. government corruption greatly, doesn't it? So. All right, we're out of time. That hits us. I'm sorry, is Shirley? That, is Rolf Royce Robert Royce's son? Is, is he Royce? is Robert's son. Right, that's what I said. Right. Rolf is Robert's son. Correct. Correct. Which, yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. All right, let us pray. Heavenly Father, uh, you have given us your word of which we can trust. Help us uh, that we might not trust in men who are mortal and those who can be led astray, but that we might uh, trust in your word, which always guides us into the truth, especially the truth of our forgiveness in our Savior, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.